listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to a new episode. First off, hopefully everybody out there staying safe. Stay inside, too. No need to be going around spreading the germs. You see some of these jackasses on spring break in Florida. Don't be one of those people. Sit down at home. Hopefully we'll pass by and every, everybody's uh, safe and, and healthy. This podcast, of course, a part of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, we are there. And, of course, SilverScreenAndRoll.com, Harrison, Christian, Sabrina, the whole crew, as you covered the great content, even though it's obviously the league is shut down, uh, we're still updating the website daily. Joining me today, um, and who's been synonymous with Silver Screen and Roll for quite some time, Anthony Irwin. Anthony, what's going on, man? You know, I'm just kind of sitting here <laughs> waiting for, wait. you know, I it's wild. I noticed this the other day. Time is has kind of changed. It isn't, you know, the hour of the day or whatever. It's basically, all right, you wake up at a certain time. You know, I have I have a, a seven month old daughter, so you know I, I kind of define the day by what time I have to feed her, how long has it been since the last feeding, how long has it been since my last meal, uh, you know, whatever. I it's wild how our entire lives, the very concept of time, has been morphed by the fact that we can. There is nothing that we can and nothing to really do. Yeah, that's the that that is the crazy part, man. I mean. Uh... Uh, you know, dealing with this. And, and obviously, I, I think I realized that when it kind of hit me that this is really, really serious was when the NBA announced they're shutting down. I'm like, OK, yeah, mm-hmm. millionaires or billionaires don't like to lose millions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially not on, right. a, on a repeated basis. And then it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's rolled into this thing where, um, like you mentioned, I mean, it's 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 testing us. But I think it's a good reminder to people. Um, we take so many little things for granted that we get to do. We, t- we take little interactions for granted. And now um, you know, we were, we're basically, we're, we should be staying at home to, to kind of slow down the, the spread of it. And, um, it, it just, it's, it's surreal, man. And we were talking a little bit before we started, it's kind of surreal to actually be living through this, you know, at this time. Yeah. It's funny. So much of technology has been kind of adapted so that we can stay home, right? Delivery food services, Netflix, you know, uh, Hulu, all those channels, uh, you kind of name it. it they, we've done everything that we possibly can to allow ourselves to be hunkered down at home. And then now that the situation finally calls for it, you still have, as you pointedly called them, jackasses out there like, no, I refuse. <laughs> it's just like, guys, we have every reason to be like to be able to to get through this together. And you guys are ruining it for everybody. Oh, it's just, it, it is so dumb. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you see the videos online too, like those people at Spring Break, like, oh, screw coronavirus, man. Yeah, yeah. it's like dumbasses, man. Like five people ended up getting uh, testing positive for coronavirus that were on Spring Break there. It's like, what are y'all doing? Like, I don't understand right. why it's so hard to, and it, it, again, uh, of, of course, I don't want to get sick. I might have it right now. I don't I don't really know. We don't know. But um, for me, it's like, yeah, you're going to look at the, the well-being and the sake of other people, especially, you know, older people who are more susceptible to it. And I think that's where the funny part comes in is that, you're like you're watching this and you're like, OK, imagine that they do say, hey, uh, here in California, they're like, hey, shut everything down. Uh, even essential services, we're going to close up. So so try and load up on what you got. It would be anarchy. People would have no clue how to, how to react to it. So I'm like, all right, the, the easier and the smarter we are about this, hopefully the sooner it will pass. And, and we don't know yet. I mean, even looking at this from an NBA perspective, are you are you expecting them to come back at some point? Uh, I I want to say yes. You know, I. I I, after hearing Adam Silver talk about it, you know, and and hearing how kind of 
strident he was in in thinking that the NBA could come back. Uh, but the more you kind of think about it logistically, like you have a bunch of NBA players whose livelihoods are made uh, by their own physical well-being. And they are going to go, you know, upwards of a month, to, you know, maybe two months, however long, where they can't go and work out at the team facility. And, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, people tend to think, oh, yeah, they're they're millionaires. They're made out of money. They have all that stuff in their mansions. And, and he's like, no, that's that's not actually how it works for a lot of people, you know, for for guys on like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right. They don't want to live in Cleveland year round. So they have their house back home in L.A. that has all the offseason stuff and they're allowed to travel back home now. But for a little while there, people weren't, you know, those players were finding it really difficult, might still be finding it really difficult to, to work out. And so it becomes actually an issue of safety, not just in terms of the fans who might be risking contracting and spreading COVID-19 by getting together in large numbers to watch the NBA whenever it comes back, but also for these players, are they going to be in shape whenever they come back? And if they aren't in shape, you know, they're going to be coming back and it's going to be ramping up to the playoffs really quickly. You have some of the most important players in the entire league that are all going to be competing against each other at, you know, 11 out of 10 type of uh, uh, energy level. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know that that's really safe for them from a physical standpoint to, to try to handle that too. So the NBA has has quite a bit of questions to answer here. And and I, I the longer I kind of think about it, I think as much as it would suck because the Lakers are probably favorites right now to win the championship, I I, I don't think we're going to get, you know, finish this season off. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the longer this goes, obviously. I think if you're getting into June, July, uh, before they even consider letting letting people back into into big gatherings like that, um, yeah, you know, I, I think they're gonna they they might just shut it down. Or, uh, you know, I heard Adam Silver say on ESPN last week he was like, hey, uh, you know, one option we do have is is just to alter the NBA calendar going forward, period, and and maybe looking at different dates. So, uh, I, I do think that if again people are smart about this and 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 the the testing gets better and people are actually, you know, staying home and, and it's not spreading at such a rapid rate, you know, maybe three, four weeks from now. I think you could maybe look at starting again in May, but then you're gonna have to probably give them a week, two weeks of, of at least a training camp to kind of get back into shape and then mm-hmm. and then condense whatever it is that, that they have left. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a crazy time. And, and it's funny to it, it's funny that how much we realize like sports has actually taken a complete second thing to being a decent human being at this point and it's like it's, it's funny that sometimes we we lose sight of that uh we want to do this podcast today we're actually going to do a look back at the 99 2000 lakers that's when the three-peat started the dynasty got underway in the Shaq and kobe years um give you guys a little bit of breakdown if you don't remember uh they ended up so i'll tell you the lakers ended up getting swept by the spurs in 1999 uh spurs went on to win the championship they fired del harris bought in phil jackson uh, some of the other moves they made, Brian Shaw, Ron Harper, John Sally all bought in as free agents. Shaw and Harper obviously played a good job. Sally probably more of a, of a personality glue guy in, in the locker room at that point of his career. But, um, but do you remember like how you were looking at that team or were, were you disappointed that they hadn't won the first few years? Or were you like, all right, I'm expecting them to kind of arrive when they do? So I was, let's see, this was 99. So I was 13. This was right about the time that I started really taking sports fandom seriously and I remember they fired Del Harris, and I was really happy about that because I didn't like how they were, he was handling Kobe. Like if if Twitter was around for how for the Del Harris era, 
especially the Dell Harris, Kobe Bryant era, like he'd be right up there with Byron Scott in terms of the number of people who disliked the guy looking back. Um, so, so I remember, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty stoked that they fired Harris. I was even happier that they brought in Phil Jackson and, you know, we kind of define people by narratives. And one of the narratives that it, it, one of the more pervasive narratives out there among all sports is the player or the athlete or the group of athletes that can't win it right. Can't win it all for whatever reason. And, you know, Shaq was kind of seen that way. Kobe was starting to be seen that way. The Lakers in general, like the, we, we, everybody kind of thought, Oh great. We're heading towards a really disappointing you know, kind of frustrating era of Lakers basketball. Uh, at least that was the direction they were heading in before they fired Del Harris. And, uh, you know, when they brought in Phil Jackson, it kind of made, it, it kind of, it was like a, a safety blanket almost is how I would define it. He, he figured out a way to get Michael, who was seen in some of the same way that Kobe was being seen uh, before he started winning championships. So he kind of thought, all right, maybe if Phil can kind of, pull off that magic all over again here with Kobe and Shaq, the way that he did with Michael and Scotty and Rodman or whatever, uh, then, then, you know, maybe this could be a really special team and, and, you know, lo and behold, uh, they, they, they were pretty, uh, impressive kind of right from the get go. Yeah. And that, and that, that, that was it. I mean, once, once Phil Jackson came in, I, I remember that too. I was just like, okay, this is now they're going to be kind of for, for real at this point because, uh, Del Harris just didn't seem like that the coach that's going to bring, put you over the top, you know what I mean? And then when they were able to yeah. get, get fill in with the talent that they had, um, it was an interesting thing because at the time Kobe missed the first six weeks of that season because of a hand injury. And so they kind of, you know, they didn't start off slow or anything like that, but they started to get rolling once he came back because he came back um, towards the end of November. And then they continued the stretch into a 14 and one December. That's when they, they, they started really rolling that December, January time. Uh, mm -hmm. Shaq had that 61 point uh, game on his, on his birthday against the Clippers. Uh, everything was rah, rah, rah. And then they went on a, a 16 game winning streak into January, ended up losing to the Pacers and went two and four. And I remember over that stretch, that, that two and four stretch, I was looking back at some older stuff too. I'm like, yeah, you know what? People started panicking, like, oh, the Lakers, you know, they, they might be falling off. It's like, okay, but then they bounced back to go to go 12 and one in February, had a 19 game winning streak in March. Um, that's when you you started looking at like, okay, the way they're looking and the way they're playing right now, it's like Phil's got them humming, humming like a machine. And then and, and I remember with the triangle offense, I mean, obviously you're never gonna see that kind of stuff run now in the NBA because uh, there's five positionless guys on the court. And you gotta be able to do a bit of everything. So you're not just gonna have a big man kind of take, taking up the whole block. Unless, of course, you get Shaquille O'Neal coming back in, into the NBA, which I don't see happening anytime soon. But when you notice, what was the biggest difference, you think, between the Dell Harris and, and, and Phil Jackson teams? Was it just were the guys ready, like the players were ready to kind of mature and get to another level? Or do you think that he was able to kind of run that and, and put his stamp on the team and get everybody going the way he wanted him to? Well, this was the first year that Kobe really kind of launched himself into the conversation for you know, top five player in the NBA, you know, legitimately both ways and on offense and defense. And so that, that, you know, obviously the, the maturation of Kobe helped a lot, but also like the one thing that was that uh, you could always kind of define a good Phil Jackson team by was kind of their stoicism. They, they, they were very good at, you know, they were always pretty calm and collected when, like you said, they were humming and, you know, that's just a, I think that has a lot to do with Phil's general approach to coaching. And, you know, was, he didn't overcoach like Del Harris was a bit of a micromanager. And to go from that to somebody like Phil, who 
kind of laid the foundation conceptually in practice and then just let the guys do their thing in game time, especially in the regular season. And, and I think that, you know, really resonated a lot with somebody like Shaq who wanted to be seen as more of a leader and somebody like Kobe who obviously wanted to one day become, you know, the alpha dog type leader and, and given being given that kind of control on the court uh, and, and that kind of trust on the court uh, compared to Phil's predecessor, I think that that really helped that team come together. And and yeah, like you said, the the 16 game winning streak, the 19 game winning streak, it was one of those streaks that you kind of, as it was happening, you're like, there's no way they they couldn't go the rest of the season without losing, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you, you know, in the back of your mind, they're going to lose eventually, but but you're like, but are they? Are they really? <laughs> And and they, they were just that kind of suffocating. You know, kind of look at their, you look at their profile here: offensive rating of one hundred seven point three and a defensive rating of ninety eight point two. That's a dominant team. That's just that's just a really effing good basketball team, and that just kind of carried its way uh, through through the entirety of that year. Yeah, and then, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, and it was just the maturity and, and the level that, that they were getting to, you know, how dominant they were. I mean, they, like I said, they finished with 67 wins. Uh, not not a lot of teams end up doing that. And then you kind of look at their competition in, in the Western Conference. And, you know, to, to me at the time, I mean, obviously Utah was coming off uh, two out of three final seasons. The, the Spurs were, were coming off being an NBA champion. But there was nobody really that close to them other than Portland, right? And so when you look back at that team now, they mm-hmm. now they get into the playoffs. And that first round series against the Sacramento Kings, because this really started off that two, three year rivalry where that yeah. was the hottest, hottest rivalry in the NBA. And I, I loved watching those games uh, just because the intensity and how they went back and forth um, kind of diminished after after Chris Webber uh, ended up getting hurt. And, and, and that was kind of it. And Shaq obviously moved on. But that first series, it was funny because the Lakers ended up winning the first one by 10. The second one, they smoke showed the Kings at, at Staples. And then they lost a couple at uh, up at Arco Arena in, in Sacramento. And then they were going into game five. And I remember the Lakers, I think Shaq had like 30 points and like 15 or 20 rebounds, whatever, whatever it was at the time. But they, they, killed, they, killed, the, uh, they killed the Kings in that series. Uh, do, you, do you remember anything about that at all? Or were you just kind of like, yo, the Lakers are going to go all the way and it doesn't matter who, who stands in their way at this point? I, I really didn't like the Kings. <laughs> uh, they, I, I really disliked them. I was, I was uh, heavily on, on uh, Team Make Los Angeles, the... Uh, the the capital of of california you know like that was that was but but i I, but i think the reason i didn't like the kings at all was that you could kind of see them coming you know they they were they attacked the lakers in some ways that really kind of stretched them thin and and when i say stretched like this was before we started to really uh tangibly understand the benefit of gravity uh but the kings you know they were one of the first kind of modern teams where you had Vlade, who, you know, he wasn't any sharpshooter by any stretch of the imagination, but you you had to pay attention to him out there. So since you had Vlade and you had Weber, who could hit 20-footers, and you had, obviously, Pages, one of the best shooters of all time. Uh, fortunately, Doug Christie couldn't throw a pee in the ocean whenever it mattered, so yeah, it was yeah. always nice having him out there. But you had, like, J- J- uh, Jason Williams at the time, who, uh, you know, was fun and dynamic. Uh, but you you know you really saw that team take a step forward when they when they kind of swapped him out for Mike Bibby, uh, but but you saw kind of where they were going. Hidu Turkulu was this young up and coming European player who could stretch the floor and handle the ball, uh, and and so yeah, I 
I really didn't like them because I was kind of made nervous by them. Uh, and, and then, you know, my, my best friend who wound up being the best man at my wedding, he was a big Kings fan, too. So, uh, you know, the, the shit talking that went on there was was also a lot of fun. But it was a five game series and it went to the fifth game. And I'd be lying if I if I uh, told you I was never at any point nervous before that game that no way the season is going to end this way because because that's kind of how it had gone under Del Harris. That's the, the the years before that were defined by playoff failure. And this would have been right up there in terms of, oh, oh God, this would the, the, it would have been outright disaster if that game five goes goes any differently. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, who knows? Maybe they would have looked at making uh, making a change at the time and maybe making a trade. And, and you know, I think I don't think Shaq was going anywhere. And um, maybe Kobe would have been would have been gone or something if, if they had kind of imploded and lost that lost that series. Um, we'll skip over the second round series. They ended up pretty much well dominating the Phoenix Suns. And then yeah. um, and then they got into the Western Conference Finals. So let's jump into that. We'll do that after a short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, jumping into the Western Conference Finals that year. They're taking on Portland, and this was back then. A lot of people, uh, especially if you're younger, you might not understand this. The Blazers and, and Lakers had a, had a pretty damn big rivalry. I mean, I, I know the Blazers fans probably still look at, at the Lakers as their number one thing. I, I don't think that is, is at the forefront of the, um, of the Pacific Division at all right now. But the Lakers were up 3-1. to one. Um, Portland, you know, had had basically looked like they were they were overmatched completely throughout the first uh, first four games, and then they win the next two. They're going into Game Seven. The Lakers hadn't lost three games straight all season that time, um, so you know, I mean, people were kind of like they're they're not going to lose three in a row, and 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 they were kind of they were could have became the seventh team in, the, in history at that point to blow a three one lead. Uh, the Blazers, Game Seven, ended up they were containing Shaq, doing a really good job. They were double teaming him. Uh, anytime he caught it, I remember that too, and, and and forcing the other guys to beat them. And then the Lakers started waking up in the uh, in the fourth quarter, and the Blazers were up by by 15, uh, 10, 28 left on the clock. Looking at that, and then the Lakers just kind of woke up, and 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 Shaq had been had been held to nine points going into the fourth quarter. Ended up finishing with 19 points, so he had a, he had a pretty big. Uh, big final frame there, but you're looking back at this. Do you remember what you were feeling during that game? Cause I was like, Oh my God, they're going to, they're like, there's no way they're going to lose this. And then as they, Brian Shaw hit those threes and you're starting to see all this stuff kind of coming along. What, what were you feeling during that time? If you remember a little boy named Anthony uh, in grade eight, sitting there with his Lakers gear on, what do you, what do you remember about that? I was, I was pretty, I was pretty nervous. Again, this was, this was a team. It felt like a team of destiny. No team wins, you know, a combined what was it, thirty-five straight games between their two longest winning streaks, uh, and 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 you know, to have that to have that team not even get to the finals that would have been just brutal. And and the thing that you always have to kind of keep in mind with this specific Lakers team was the the playoff failures that immediately preceded the season. You had Kobe airballing those shots against Utah. You had uh, the the prior year getting swept by San Antonio. It was just disappointment after disappointment for this team that you know everybody thought was coming and and was eventually going to figure it out and this and that and and to be down by 15 in the fourth quarter against uh, a Portland Trailblazers team that like yeah they were talented but they didn't have the kind of all time great talent that the Lakers had at the top of their roster so it would have been an a, 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 and and then th- that was going on also. In Staples Center, you know, and, and it's funny the the play where uh, Shaq, you know, the the, the famous alley oop from Shaq from Kobe to Shaq uh, that took place in that in that fourth quarter, uh, you can literally see the the weight of those postseason failures 
come off of not just the guys that were on the court, but every fan that was in that building. The reason there was such a a just nuclear bomb that went off inside that arena was because all the fans kind of saw those demons. They, 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 they let those demons be gone. They were just that was it. The Lakers cleared that final hurdle. Uh, the the finals series was just basically the the pre party right the the pre the the few drinks that you take uh, before the cab gets there before you go out that night like that was basically where 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 the season was finally it you know was heading in finally in the direction that that everybody thought it should have been going all along um, but to to when you're when you were there at that fifteen or down fifteen with ten minutes and change to go that's when you know everybody. The the only thing that was on anybody's mind was no, fuck, not this again. Please don't, please don't let this happen again. And and fortunately, it it didn't. And you know what's kind of funny is you know, Phil Jackson is is kind of well known at this point for laughing at the modern uh, style of play and the three pointers and all of that. But but he basically played the Lakers four out there. He had Brian Shaw, he had uh, Derek Fisher, Kobe, Robert Ory. You know, he just basically surrounded Shaq with shooters and they went on this crazy run because either uh, Portland was going to play Shaq straight up, which they didn't have the manpower to do that, or they were going to double team him and were stretched so thin that it was just wide open three after wide open three. And the, the Lakers were finally making them. And and yeah, it was just it was it was uh, really fun to it wasn't Derek Fisher, it was Rick Fox, I think that was out there. So it was like Brian Shaw, Kobe, Rick Fox and Ori. And all those guys were making all the threes that were left to be wide open to him because the concept of modern defense hadn't really been invented quite yet. So the Lakers went on this crazy run with something that Phil to this day kind of mocks, and and and, and that's that modern spacing concept. Yeah, they they the way they the way they took over that game, and and, and exactly, you know, in in the NBA, it's all about your superstars, right? I mean, you need your role players to step up two or three times to, to win a game in the playoffs. But other than that, you're going to go as far as your, your big guns take you. And, and we started seeing that, like you mentioned. I mean, once, uh, you know, once these guys started hitting their open threes and, and the, the Blazers really couldn't just double-team Shaq and, and get the ball out of his hands anymore, and they, they were reeling. I mean, and you could tell those guys looked shook. And I remember that, too. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the, when they were calling timeouts, um, just the shots of the bench, and they weren't like, they were scared. They were, they were scared of the moment at that time. And then um, it was a tie game late. Kobe Bryant hit this. If, if you get back to ever you get a chance to watch this, I know it's not a highlight that's replayed all the time because uh, he's not dunking or anything, but the move he puts on Scottie Pippen and hits a, a jumper from just in between the three-point line and, and the free-throw circle, um, beautiful shot. And that, that, put, uh, that put the Lakers up. And then, obviously, one of the most iconic moments in Lakers franchise history, uh, 40 seconds left, the Lakers are up by four. Kobe obviously drives, throws up the lob to Shaq, uh, beats, beats Pippen, throws up the lob to Shaq. What did you feel like if you remember that? Were you just jumping out of your chair? Or were you just like, "Woo, this is like this is it"? Like, what were what was your reaction at that time? Well, are you a boxing fan? Do you ever watch boxing yeah. or anything like that? Yeah. So it felt a lot like that moment before somebody gets knocked the hell out, right? Yeah. Where the 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 one guy you can just you can just kind of tell the 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 boxer that has everything kind of going for him. That you see it, it all. It's going to take is to blow on the other boxer and he's going to go down and, 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 and hit that 10 count. But the Lakers were in that spot. Kobe had Pippen at the top of the key there. And it was just, it was just a matter of how they were going to put them to bed that night. And it was, it wound up being this, you know, iconic play where Kobe crosses Pippen out of the picture 
and then throws that great lob to Shaq, who who then has the celebration that we all know now where he's pointing, you know, up the court and he's running. Everybody's going insane. Uh, but that's kind of how I it, it felt to me, you know, because I, I was always a big fan of boxing. It was just I uh, it, it was just a feeling of anticipation, like, oh, these guys are done. This is over. How how is it going to go? How like how are we actually going to knock them out? And then for them to, to to knock them out in that way, uh, where it was the the Kobe lob to Shaq, and then the jubilation that followed it, it was it was perfect. It was one of those rare, just absolutely perfect sports moments. Except unless you're a uh, Blazers fan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody from Portland <laughs> probably didn't think that's a that's a perfect moment because you know and you, you mentioned that too, man. Like you, the the emotional roller coaster you would go through as a Lakers fan in that fourth quarter where you're like, oh my god, like you were mentioning, like you had the ugly losses to Utah, you got swept by the Spurs, and you finally bring in Phil Jackson, you're thinking you're going to get there, and then you're you know you're down 15 with 10 against a very damn good Blazers team. They were stacked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Rasheed Wallace, you mentioned Scottie Pippen. Uh, they had Arvidas Sabonis, Detlef Shrimp, all these guys, Steve Smith. Um, they were they were real Damon good teams. Stoudemire, who like Damon always Stoudemire. drove the Lakers nuts. Yeah, yeah, and I mean those guys were they were they were a deep deep team, and and just kind of how they how you started to see that fall apart, and then you see the Lakers making this run, and then once the Lakers got it back to they were down by two three points, I'm like they're gonna win. You know what I mean? Because you could feel it. the momentum, yeah. like you mentioned, like it was like everything was was shaping up for them. Um, they obviously you know what they get to the finals. Take on a pretty scrappy Pacers team. Obviously Reggie Miller, the only time that he he's made the uh, he's made the uh, the NBA Finals in in his career. But you're looking at um, you're looking at this uh, at this series. I, I kind of was like, all right, whoever won the Western Conference, and I felt like that the year you know both the years the the, the Lakers played the Nets as well, which is that whoever wins the West is gonna is gonna win the win the championship. And the Lakers end up uh, end up winning the first two games in in LA. Uh, game three. They lose in Indy. This was back when they had the 2-3-2 format. Game four, they won. And then the Pacers like, blew the doors off of them in game five. You're going into game six. Um, were you, how confident were you as, as a fan of the team that, hey, they're going to they're gonna win this. They're going to win this series. Like, did you did you feel like the Pacers just had no chance whatsoever? Yeah, that was that was pretty much over. The Lakers were going to have uh, two chances to, to knock them out at home. But to, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to actually rewind back to game four because yeah. it has just... I would say probably one of the top three moments in Kobe's career uh, where Shaq fouls out midway through overtime. Kobe was playing on a bummed ankle that uh, Jalen Rose later said that he uh, stepped under Kobe uh, on purpose. So Kobe's playing, you know, if, if it was a regular season kind of thing, he'd be out a couple of weeks, but he was out there playing on this bum ankle and, you know, drags the Lakers to victory in Indiana where if they lose that game, it's now 2-2 with Game 5 coming in Indiana. So, you know, if, if, if the Lakers lose that game, it's not like the C- series was uh, would have been beyond hope, but it was certainly would have been in doubt. And uh, the fact that Kobe, you know, kind of put away Indiana, that was the first moment that you officially knew, yeah, this Kobe kid, he's only 21, uh, this Kobe kid's going to be something special. And and I you know the the image that is always stuck in my mind, he made one of the the game's daggers or something like that, and was going back down the court the other way, telling everybody, "Calm down, I got this." The swagger, the 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 you know again, it's become cliche to call it this, but the the mama mentality, just this 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 moment of 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 uh, the come to Jesus moment that everybody had that had watched this kid, you know, for for you know, going on four or five years at that point, uh, we had, we'd been watching Kobe, like we know he, he flashes 
these spectacular moments out there. But when's he actually going to reach out and grab that greatness? And in game four in Indiana, in the Lakers' first championship in in uh, more than a decade, that was the night. That was the night that Kobe went out, grabbed that greatness, and and never really relinquished it. Yeah, I, I remember that too because yeah, people were like, you know, once Shaq fouled out, um, Kobe hit three three big shots, and they had to deal with kind of. I remember that game because John Sally was getting torched by Rick Smith. If people remember <laughs> yeah. him, that he was getting torched, and uh, Reggie Miller missed a, a, a three pointer that would have won him that game too because it finished one twenty to one eighteen. So. Um, I mean, that kind of showed me, and I felt that too. I'm like, uh, like you mentioned, I'm like, once the Lakers got that, you're like, it doesn't really matter what happens in game five because this Lakers team is too good uh, to lose twice, especially back at Staples Center. I think they went 36 and five during the regular season at home. So Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're liking your chances at that point. But that game six, um, it was, it was a pretty damn good game. I mean, the Pacers were actually, uh, yeah, the Pacers were, um, the Pacers were up and then the Lakers kind of, you know, started to chip away and it was only a three point game at halftime. And then uh, in the, in the fourth quarter, uh, the Lakers kind of did what they did against against Portland in the deciding game that they, they took over. I mean, uh, D. Fish hit some shots. Uh, Rick Fox, Robert Ory, and then um, Shaq ended up uh, hitting the, hitting a weird weird off balance shot that was kind of like on a, almost a fast break, but not really a fast break. And then I remember that because the Pacers, I don't think ever ever had the lead after that point in the game. And once the Lakers built it up, um, the Pacers came back to tie it. I think. Well, I, what was the final score in that game? It was one sixteen one eleven. So the Pacers came back to tie it at one point. And, um, you know, Shaq just took over. I mean, you look at Shaq's numbers from that, from that uh, series, 38 points he averaged, uh, 16 rebounds a game. And in that game seven, or game six, pardon me, uh, he led the way with 41 too. Do you I think we'll ever see somebody as good as Laker Shaq again in our, in our lifetime, like as dominant as, as that? No, I mean, I, it's hard for me to say never because Giannis is, is still somehow only like 24 years old, so... We'll see what that like turns 30, out to be. Thirty-eight, but, right? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But but no, I mean, like just, the way that Shaq dominated it, right? Where he was that big, and it just felt that inevitable. You know, he, he there was a burgeoning economy for just seven foot stiff guys to be six fouls against Shaq <laughs> because yeah. they needed they needed an extra body, uh, and and you know there there were a lot of guys who added years onto their career just playing that role on teams that knew they were going to have to face the Lakers in the playoffs. Uh, so that was, that was always, you know, and that, you know, this game pretty much summed it up. Uh, the, you know, the ways that he could really beat you 41 points, uh, 19 of 32 from the field and, you know, the 12 rebounds, the four blocks, no turnovers, which is pretty insane when you consider uh, how much he had the ball in his hands. Uh, only the one assist, but the thing with Shaq was he was always really willing and really understood the game to where he was always really willing to pick up the hockey assist. So he was really good at, you know, finding out, all right, so they're going to give me the ball here. The trap is going to come from here. I'm going to throw the ball out of the trap. Somebody's going to rotate the ball to the corner, and that's going to be a wide open three for us. He was so good at that. And he just, he dominated the game in, in every way that you could possibly do that. Yeah, he, he was, man. I mean, those those three years, like, and, and the performances he would put on the NBA Finals. I mean, even when they lost to the uh, Pistons in 04, uh, he just killed Ben Wallace. And Ben Wallace obviously was known as this, like, this great defensive player. And, and uh, you know, he's a hard to score against. But Shaq, man, I mean, the, the what he would do in, uh, especially in the NBA Finals, it, I, you know, the second to Jordan, I think, in my lifetime in terms of how dominant he was when it mattered the, when it mattered the most. Uh, you look back at that team, obviously that kickstarted another another two championships. When you look at it, let, let, let's compare that team to, um, let's say, like the 95-96 Bulls and even like the 16-17 the, the Warriors with Kevin Durant or 17-18. Do you think the Lakers would beat any of those teams in a seven-game series? 
this version of them. I don't oh, know. The, the, the 2000, yeah, the 99, 2000 version. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah that, that version of them. I, I think they would give, like, none of those teams had anything that, that could be done against Shaq, you know, and, and uh, so long as Shaq never got in foul trouble, I would give them uh, a puncher's chance against any team in NBA history. Uh, I would say the next year when Kobe was another year, you know, more mature and a little better on both sides of the ball, uh, I would say that would be the year that the Lakers could really challenge uh, even the the Warriors team, even though math would say that the Warriors are probably going to beat them. But but yeah, I, I, I mean, you're looking at, you know, the stretch of just absolute greatness in a way that we may never see again. We may never because of the the amount of player movement that we see in the modern NBA, we might never see a three P ever again. This might be the last one ever. And, you know, this kickstarted that. And, you know, it, it, it really felt like once they got over the. Once they got over the 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 hump there, it was just you know those those more titles were going to start being uh, just rolling in and and that turned out to be the case for the next couple of years. This this was a pretty outstanding team. The thing I'll always remember about it is because John Sally was on that team. They were celebrating and he was getting interviewed by a TV, and Laker fans started rioting. Uh, they started they they started you know flipping cars and stuff like that. And and Sally's being uh, interviewed and he says I, I think it was jim hill or somebody like that he goes oh crap i knew i should have <laughs> i knew i shouldn't have paid for the cheap parking and he's like that's my fucking car and there's some car upside down like on fire he's like i gotta go i gotta go it was incredible it was so <laughs> he was great i love john sally he's a great great personality it's I, of course it's fitting end up happening to him because he was too cheap to get the uh <laughs> to get the good parking um yeah what what else do you like? What else do you think of when when you think back to those teams? I mean, was it really just like that was Shaq and Kobe coming together and and you know like like I said the beginning of a of a dynasty and and when you when you look at how well that team that team played and and, and they kind of got better and better over the next two years. Um, is there anything that you would you would have maybe looked at and said you wish they would have went another two seasons or three seasons after that 04 final with Shaq and Kobe? Uh, I I think it was it had pretty much run its course. I I, I mean obviously. You know, Shaq said this at at Kobe's funeral that, you know, he still holds regret to this day that they were such assholes back in the day that they they didn't understand how great they had it. And, you know, it's a really it's really a, a, a bummer that it did. It was it was kind of this flash in the pan. But, you know, by by flash in the pan standards, winning three championships in a row, going to finals, I think, five times uh, during that stretch. Uh, it's pretty hard to say that they didn't squeeze as much as they possibly could out of the, the their relative short time together. Uh, it would have been cool if they stuck together, but it was pretty obvious by the time uh, Shaq went to Miami that that both he and Kobe were just there was no way that they they had reached the point of no return, crossed it, spit on that line, maybe you know urinated on it too, uh, and then flashed middle fingers at each other from the other side of that line as they as they kind of separated. And uh, and that's kind of how things went. But in terms of basketball, it's it, I do kind of think we, we saw a couple role player uh, stereotypes that, that we still see nowadays. I think we learned without really knowing the value of of a stretch four. And Robert Ory was one of the, ver- the first ever stretch fours. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that he won as much as he did over his over the course of his career, because we know how important that position is nowadays. And then. You know, Derek Fisher being basically a three and D point guard, 
uh, I, I think that's that's become a really important role player, uh, as evidenced by the guys who played alongside uh, Durant and played alongside uh, LeBron and and you know continue to do that. The the those those two kind of archetype role players, uh, I think we're going to continue to see for as long as basketball is played. And it, with this team, we we really started to see the value of of having really good players in those spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, man. I mean, the way Robert Ory played that played that position, and he was so effective at it for for so many years of his, of his uh, of his career, where uh, he was he was he was a key cog in the, in, the, in the Lakers winning. He he helped the Spurs win, and he was he was a, an important piece. He was important on the Rockets. And you're right. I mean, the way he stretched the floor and and, and enabled him, and the, the way that team was built, it just fitted the system so well. You know what I mean? Like Ron Harper, the perfect point yep. guard to run it because he's not fancy. He's just going to come up, bring the ball up. Kind of set the table and and hit open shots if you need him to. If not, he's like, hey man, cool. Y'all go do the work and and I'll sit here and collect my paycheck and and, and mm-hmm. let Shaq and Kobe do their thing. And then you had Rick Fox, who was also a very good three point shooter. Glenn Rice, we didn't even mention, who was uh, to me an underrated offensive player, especially when he was in Miami. He was awesome. So yeah. I, I just think the way that team was built, uh, and as I mentioned off the top, bringing in Bishaw um, through through free agency, I, I just think that team was 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 destined to win it that year, and everything clicked for him, obviously for for those three years in a row. Uh, Anthony. Thanks again for doing this, man. I mean, we're going to be doing this a, a little bit more as we as we go along here, however long this this break lasts. But uh, stay safe out there, man, and then uh, hope you and your family are holding up okay. Hey, same back at you, man. Be, be safe. Uh, you be safe out there. Everybody listening, please be safe and smart out there. Let's get through this as as quickly and safely as we possibly can. All right, man. Thanks again. That is Anthony Irwin. You can check him out on Twitter at Anthony F. Irwin as well. Uh, That does it for this episode. Like Anthony mentioned, uh, if you are listening to this, please stay safe, stay home. Don't be an idiot. Don't go out. Don't have to do unnecessary things. Take it easy. Uh, Hopefully this whole thing passes and we'll get back to normal life. Much more important than basketball, but back to normal life uh, sooner than later. And of course, don't forget, uh, subscribe to our podcast network, the Silver Screen and Roll podcast network. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And silverscreenandroll.com, your number one source for all things Lakers. That does it for this episode. I'll talk to you all next week.